Hello and welcome to episode 147 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we have a packed show. We have none other than Carlos Aguirre of Global Diplomatic, who will be joining us, the Human Rights Relief branch of Global Diplomatic, doing fantastic work in the black and gold community, whether it is south of the border in Tijuana or down in Leon whether it's on our away days to Colorado, San Jose, amongst others, Global Diplomatic has been at the forefront of being community first and a force for good for the black and gold. We are so excited to speak to Carlos about Global Diplomatic. If you want to donate or help out anyway in the orphanage mission down in Costa Rica, you can reach out to them at Global Diplomatic. We also have none other than Sam Spiller rejoining the pod as our opcore this week to get us ready for the Portland Timbers packed show. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer and joining me this evening, none other than Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Nice to see you. I mean, I think you're burying the lead. You were almost not able to make this and you had a six hour or more drive through snow and sleet. California's wild time right now. So Jonathan is it's a pleasure to have you on and have your golden voice to introduce us. Absolutely. It was uh, some wild weather here in Los Angeles, but even a little bit more so for you spending this past weekend in Northern California, visiting your family and your new nephew. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that. How, did you have lots of snow like we did? I actually drove through a blizzard coming out of Livermore, California, which if you know anything about Livermore, California, they don't get blizzards, but maybe once every 50 years. So that was a trip for sure. But it was awesome. My little brother has been living in China, met a woman over there, fell in love, got married, had a baby, all loving the time of COVID. And we couldn't go over to China and meet my new sister or meet my nephew. And I'm so ecstatic that they are out here in California. And it was my nephew's second birthday, and it took two years for me to finally meet my nephew, which is just a sign of the times, I guess, in, in this crazy world that we've been in. But I was so happy to finally meet my new sister-in-law, to meet my nephew, and to spend some time up north with the folks. Got to go visit my grandma in her nursing home and had a fantastic trip up to Northern California, spending time with my family up there and was a little concerned I wasn't going to make it home in time to record today, especially as we were sitting there five miles an hour going through a blizzard, watching cars peel off the freeway and collide into the bushes left and right of me as we were driving down. Man, people, people just do not know how to drive in snow and rain here in California. It was dicey, 40, 50 mile an hour winds while it's dumping buckets. It was definitely a white knuckled car ride down, but Thankfully, we got out in front of the storm, made it through the grapevine, back home safe and sound, and ready to pontificate about some black and gold. So enough about me. Let's talk about the Rose Bowl game. Opening weekend, LAFC kicking it off versus the Galaxy, and... And you said that the MLS doesn't listen to our show. I think that that in and of itself is proof that the MLS listens to our show. Well, at least the gods of nature listen to our show because... Mother Nature done stood in the way of us having this opening day spectacle, a rain out at the Rose Bowl, LAFC versus Carson and the Carsadina Galaxy has been rescheduled for the 4th of July, and I for one could not be more ecstatic about this reschedule. Not only because I now get to go, but I just feel like this is the perfect 4th of July spectacle, and it was a bit much to cram this in to the first weekend of games. But gentlemen, enough about my opinion. 
Christian, Chris, what do you guys think about the cancellation and rescheduling of the Rose Bowl game? I'm also happy. Like you and the episode I, I was able to listen to and not be part of, I was hoping this was the case also because I didn't have tickets. And I was flying back from a work trip the night before. I was going to be tired. Fun fact, I was delayed because my flight was canceled out of Denver. I didn't get home till almost 11, and I left at 1 p.m. local time. So it was super crazy day, and I was super exhausted. And when I was at the airport, I was like, at least other people are disappointed, too, <laughs> about the game being canceled. And it sucks that you know so many people were looking forward to it. But I agree with you. Now I have a chance to buy a ticket and go. I'm looking forward to that. So I do think it was the right call. Obviously, California is not made for this kind of weather. The icy images, the slushy roads to get there. And I'm sure the pitch was going to be horrible as well. No one wants to get some sort of injury or some sort of non-full stadium situation. So it was the right move in the end, in my opinion. I'm happy for many reasons. You know, we talked last week about how we just felt that, you know, the atmosphere and it being derby week and everything leading up to it was not felt the way it might normally have been felt and i think that that was a little bit of the community us not being together right leading up to every game you see your friends and you know you're at the tailgates and you have things in place to plan for derby week this gives us a better opportunity with it being in July. I'm definitely really happy the game has been changed. I think that we talked about the whole notion of there not being the build-up to Derby Week. This is now going to happen because the game is now delayed until July. I think that it had a lot to do with us not being able to see our friends and have the normal conversations or planned events that we might have leading up to a Derby Week. With that, this match is going to be on the 4th of July, and I've heard that the I've never personally been there, but I've heard that the fireworks show that happens at the Rose Bowl during the 4th of July is an amazing fireworks experience. So that will be something really cool to look forward to, to stay late and watch the fireworks show after the match. And I just think that it plays better with the overall season. The first match is now going to be at Dignity Health Sports Park. Then it'll be the match in Pasadena with the Rose Bowl. And then at the end of the season will be the match at the bank in September. So I, I, I'm i okay with all of it. I think that it'll be interesting how everything has to shift because I believe that the Galaxy have a game on the second currently. Or no, they had a, they, because the Galaxy normally do play on the 4th of July. So they had a game against St. Louis, I believe. So that game against St. Louis had to be moved you know, so to accommodate these sort of things, but it's just interesting. And I, and we have a game just a couple of days prior to, so, you know, we do have to fit in this game so that we can get the equal number amount of games played by the end of the season, but I'm definitely happy that it is on a holiday. Yes, it's a Tuesday, but still, I, I think that it'll be a lot of fun and I'm, I'm happier about it playing out in the 4th of July than I am being the first game of the season. You could not ask for a better 4th of July spectacular spectacle than to see LAFC versus Carcedina. It's perfect for the 4th of July. Had this game taken place over the course of this past weekend, the mud and the trudge of everyone trying to get into that golf course would have, A, probably ruined the golf course and just absolutely been a nightmare getting in and out of. I was going to say one thing that I think was an interesting topic that kind of got thrown out there. Obviously, the MLS 
was anticipating that this was going to be a record-breaking attendance match. On top of that, Chicharito gets hurt. On top of that, the weather is not, you know, having the weather be great was already going to be an, an event that potentially could break the record. If the weather was good, you might might not have broken the record. Now you have inclement weather, so you were going to get a partially filled stadium. It wasn't going to be the marquee match because one of the main players from the Galaxy is not going to play. I mean, it's not like the MLS hasn't played matches in inclement weather before. There was the match, I believe it was in Colorado, where it was all snow. You know, so I think that even though the stadium was definitely compromised, I do also think that it was a lot easier for the MLS to just say, nah, we're going to throw in the towel, call it a different weekend, because there's all of these other things that are on our agenda that we wanted to see happen that are not going to happen given the circumstances. Well, in speaking to someone who worked at the Rose Bowl grounds, they described the entire pitch as being underwater that even trying to kick a ball through it would have been, you know, quote, like kicking a ball through a kiddie pool. It just, it, it, it would not have made, snow is a little different, right? I mean, you can snow blow some of the snow off. You can kick a ball through snow. It's not quite the same as, you know, a giant puddle that you're playing in, which would have drastically affected the watchability of this game. You know, just not to mention what a pain it is getting in and out of the Rose Bowl. And could you imagine if that stadium had to evacuate because of lightning strikes or, you know, God forbid something horrific happened with the, you know, the weather being as God awful as it was like it was just it was a perfect storm for something really bad to happen, whether it's to a player, whether it's to a fan, whether it's to the grounds. It was just the right move to move it. I don't think it was ever the right move to have this spectacle be the kickoff to the season. It could have been really fun, but it is going to be much more fun for come 4th of July. As far as uh, any other final thoughts on the Rose Bowl cancellation and rescheduling, I, I think, you know, uh, in Carson's case, I think they they dodged a bullet because I think we're in pretty good form and they're scuffing a little bit in their preseason Chicharito's got a bum hammy. Who knows if he'll even be back come 4th of July. You know, who knows what both rosters are going to look like by then. That's very speculative, but it's going to be a better match in July than it would have been this past weekend. I also hope that the Galaxy supporters can work out whatever sort of boycotting that they're doing by the time that the 4th of July comes around. If the Galaxy supporters don't want to be present at their home match at Dignity Hill Sports Park, like nobody's going to know the difference. But you know, for the match against the the Rose Bowl, like I would really like to see more of a force in there. I hope they continue this. To be honest with you, it just it just it just makes it more apparent to those that aren't in the know or are in LA watching both teams to understand what levels both supporter groups are and the teams are. So I'm okay with them, you know, being upset for another few months. It'll make me happy. Uh, my prediction is that Galaxy are just going to start selling the tickets for the people that are protesting and try and put butts in those seats anyway. But we shall see. I think we're officially a Klein in show for sure. I, I think that's our statement on it. There was a ton of games that kicked off over the course of the weekend. Do you guys have any highlight moments, whether it was San Jose falling to double stoppage time goals at the at Atlanta? My goodness, the worst 
back pass in history in the Austin game that saw St. Louis get their first ever win. We saw Abubakar put in one of the worst defensive performances I have ever seen from a center back, gave up three goals in his game. Do you guys have any highlights from the games that did take place? The two biggest takeaways were the Austin-St. Louis match. Seeing St. Louis come in and get a victory, their first match in team history was really cool. I do think that the situation around the tying goal, Stroud getting that tying goal, because Stroud used to be on Austin. So I don't know if he made, if he called for the ball or what have you. There was a little gamesmanship going on there. But at the end of the day, an errant pass was made to a player who had nobody in between him and the goal. And uh, he put it in the back of the net. St. Louis still had to get one more goal in less than 15 minutes left in the game to get the win. But uh, in very, very entertaining fashion, St. Louis City gets the win. And then, of course, there is the San Jose debacle that just was unbelievable. I could not believe that that's how that match played out. And, of course, you get the two goals in stoppage time. I mean, San Jose gets an early goal. But Tiago Almada comes in in the stoppage time and gets those two goals to put Atlanta uh, over San Jose. Uh, It was really good. I liked it. And then, you know, the MLS 360, that was a really entertaining way to be able to watch multiple games at the same time. I think that MLS 360 is going to be the way moving forward to be able to just kind of keep the pulse of the league going during game days. I have a couple comments. I mean, San Jose is going to San Jose. Number one, St. Louis, what it reminds me of is like our first match ever, right? We go to a a team who is recognized at that moment in time as one of the marquee teams or one of the contenders, which Austin is expected to be. So maybe the expectations weighing on them this year, right? Before, like the first year is their first year. The second year, they're a surprise. It's not easy to have expectations. So I think the fact that the way that game ended, was a tale of those two kind of perspectives for me. A team that had the expectations and crumbled under it, and the team that's brand new and went into, you know, a stadium that has been known the last couple of years to be raucous and really have a home field, and they didn't mind it. Like, we're, this is our first game ever, and we're going to go do whatever it takes to get a result, and they won. So I'm happy for St. Louis to be able to do that. And MLS 360, I think that's super cool. I agree with you. It's kind of like uh, MLS version of Red Zone, right? It's almost like the only way I will watch football, honestly, and I don't own it. So it's whenever I'm a friend's house that's obsessed with it. But it is really, really entertaining. And I think it's conducive to the new set of schedule that we have, right? Where I'd say 90% of the games are at the same time. So it plays for MLS 360. And I think it's great. I, I did see, and I didn't watch it myself this weekend. But I did see people's comments where the the cutting the the perspectives the angles uh, the abrupt commercials I think those will hopefully be kinks that get get worked out over the season, but the fact that you're able to tune in as uh, action is going on I think another component or another station that does the CBS does is with Golazo for Champions League and for Europa League which is also pretty entertaining on CBS and Paramount Plus so. I love it. I love that this is something that Apple is doing. And, and I did watch some of the highlights on there. I did a the weekend review on Apple TV. Production, great. Christmas, 
talent wise, I think we got the best of the best from around the country in terms of coverage. So I'm just excited of how this is going to progress even more. Yeah, I think there's still some things to work out. I would love one of my biggest issues with the MLS app in previous seasons is how long it takes them to upload game highlight videos. I still had a little bit of an issue with that with Apple TV, where even a few hours after a game had ended, they still hadn't uploaded the highlight package. You could go back and rewatch the whole game, or you could kind of look at highlights one by one. But you know, the the MLS in 15 that they used to do where they would do the 15 minute sort of recap of a game. I'd like to see that and and the highlights uploaded just a little quicker so that after a game's done, you can kind of go back and, and catch the gist of what happened. But really, really fun roundup of games. And in most games, the team you expected to win, win. I mean, DC United beating Toronto three to two, though. The wooden spoons coming out and spanking it to Bob Bradley. That was uh, a little alarming to me. That was a fun one to see. Obviously, the San Jose collapse, Almada, two stoppage times, 90 plus eighth minute game winner. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff you live for uh, as a football fan. It was, a you know, Cincinnati beating Houston. I mean, you know, there were a couple games that really stood out to me. FC Dallas going down to Minnesota after everyone picked Minnesota to be an awful team this year. And, you know, a ton of people picking Dallas to be in the top three in the West. And, you know, and they dropped that game. And of course, the Austin loss. And then, you know, you have things like Seattle and Philadelphia going out and spanking teams kind of like we expected it to. It was, it was a really mixed bag of mixed results. One thing I think is really interesting, not a single tie. In the East or the West, there were no ties. Somebody went home with three points in every single game, which is interesting. I don't know if that's ever happened before in an opening weekend. We're going to have to uh, go back well, and check the stats on that one. It did, it, it did happen back when the league didn't have ties. Well, so you know what? Since... I, yeah, good, good point. Good point. Valid but point. Excuse me. Now, I will say there is a team that ended their match with the same points at the end of their match because it never happened. Right. Well, there, so, there would be four teams actually that that didn't get to play their match because of postponements. But uh, one of those getting rescheduled. But of course, yes, uh, uh, LAFC and the Galaxy. I suppose you know, technically middle of the pack since we didn't lose. But uh, you know, well, we'll catch up those games. I'm not too worried about. It. I agree with you though. MLS 360, pretty cool. Trying to be the MLS version of Red Zone, I guess. I'm curious to see how that grows and how it adapts and changes. And uh, I just hope the people at Apple realize they did a good job that first weekend. But there's still a few areas to improve on. So hopefully they're not resting on their laurels. All right, guys, back to the black and gold. In some shocking news this week, I suppose. LAFC announced that the club has acquired a 2023 international roster slot from Sporting Kansas City in exchange for 150,000 general Garber bucks. So here we go. The rumor mills are starting again. LAFC now have that extra international roster spot. So gentlemen, where do you think JT is going to employ that roster slot? And I just want to say, if you're not following our good friend Vince the Rosa at Vince the Rose on social media. You should because he gave this little nugget of information. Uh, hire when Vince. John hire Vince exactly hashtag hire Vince when you when he was in, uh, in an interview with John Thorrington, he had asked about rosters and being in compliance with league rules at the time of the interview, which was just before we had announced. The international roster and John Thornton had said that they were currently in roster compliance with the league. So 
this 2023 international roster slot should in theory then lead to a new player on the team and it is not acquiring an international roster spot to meet the compliance needed with the current roster so who do we need and what do we need we need a midfielder that's what we need that's what we're going to get i don't know who and i i don't know from where but that's what i really think is just that we need more midfielders right now and that's kind of what my expectation is i don't know i think it's hard to tell i feel like he's he's probably chasing or talking to the scouts about both a midfielder and a striker those are both places of need right now. So whatever makes sense to stay within compliance and is has upside and can contribute is the first one that's going to get the trigger pulled on, right? So to your point, I don't know which one he's doing, but I know that he's actively working even when we think he's not working. And this just tells me they are still there's still things that they're looking at and they're trying to make sure that things are in place before they execute so it's promising I, I hope it happens sooner than later but who knows like this this could be also a move to just get this in place for the summer and getting it less expensive at this point in time than uh, as the summer transfer window approaches my prediction this is a designated player u22 initiative number nine i think this international roster slot is going to be used for our third and final designated player which must be a u22 initiative designated player we are going to go out and find ourselves a young yet to be proven striker with massive potential upside and sell-on ability and that is exactly what jt is going to go out and look for whether it is in the next month or so before our window closes actually i don't think it closes till april right so we've got like two months left uh, for the winter window or the summer window, but uh, whether it is in the next 60 days or so, or whether it is this summer, I think it is our U22 DP number nine. I do think we need a defensive midfielder, but I don't think that's where this international roster slot's going to go. I think we could probably use allocation money and find somebody who's out of a starting job somewhere else that would prefer to be a backup for us than to be a backup elsewhere in defensive mid. All right, that about wraps us up. Last note I have in the rundown, gentlemen, is to make sure that everyone is there bright and early for our upcoming game because there is going to be some ceremonies before game. And I think all of this is perfect to touch on when we do our Portland review in just a moment. So I think we're going to go ahead and take our first break. We will be right back with today's guest, none other than Carlos Aguirre of Global Diplomatic in just a moment. Hey, what's up, familiar? It's your boy here once again, the Hood Foodie. And today you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. So make sure you guys come out, support, and tell them that the Hood Foodie sent you. Joining us as our guest this week is none other than Carlos Aguirre of Global Diplomatic Human Rights Relief. Carlos, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Good to be here. It's a pleasure. Thank you, guys. For those of you that don't know, Carlos has been an original black and gold member of this community from the very, very early days. And 
He's been very active in the 3252 and in and around a lot of community events. And it's a really great honor to have you on today. What you do for this community and what you do for communities outside of Los Angeles on away days is really, it needs to be recognized. And um, those are the kind of participation events that people really do find valuable and are the most memorable parts of some of these away days. I was just going to say, folks, you have heard about Carlos's work having been put out by LAFC socials. You've been discussed on the Cooligans. You've gotten news reports showing up to the various events you've done. You've participated in events across MLS stadiums, south of the border, both Tijuana, Leon. We've got a big trip planned down to Alajuense in Costa Rica with some stuff. We're going to touch on all of this, but First and foremost, Carlos, you know, just thank you for the work that you and your family do for constantly being community first and really embodying what shoulder to shoulder means to so many of us. And as we dive into this, we just want to start the show by saying thank you for everything that you do. I greatly appreciate it. Truly, truly. So why don't we go ahead and roll the clock back. And before we get into global diplomatic, its origins and the mission and some of the works that are going on in the community. We'd like to hear about how the beautiful game entered your life. And what are your first memories of falling in love with football? Let's see the beautiful game. I guess um, being raised here in LA, you're always, you know, put into sports, you know, Sunday leagues. Funny story was when I was younger, I actually wasn't really that good at it. We didn't like it that much. Had that dad, I was always pushing too much. So I was like, it wasn't my thing. Let's say well, high school. I started playing basketball. Sadly, I didn't get the height. I was good, I would say. But then there's just a point that you can't just compete with. Like, if you don't have the height, sadly, you can't go on. And that's where I started watching soccer more because I started noticing Messi. Guy's almost my height. Doing magic throughout the pitch, anywhere he went. And it didn't matter if he was 5'7", facing a six foot five person. Like, he'll dribble right through him. And I was kind of inspired by him. And apart from that, I started watching what really got me into it was um, I had friends that would invite me to go kick the ball around. And slowly I started playing more, picking it up. And I don't know, if, man, it might sound a little cocky, but I felt I had some natural talent, maybe being have part uh, South American. So I felt a little pride in it. And that's where I started improving my game. And that's where I usually was found at a soccer field Monday to Friday. And that's where my love for the game started. And from there, I actually started watching. Because prior to that, I was always a type that I'd rather play than watch. And then slowly, I started watching Champions League, like I mentioned, especially because those type of games are do or die. You know, especially at the round of 16. It's home and away. Whoever had the better uh, goal difference and away goals, I found that so interesting. I really liked it because it was really like pushing other teams to kind of, you got to go at it or, you know, sit back and you might just lose because the away goals. So I really enjoy that. And that's where slowly, like I said, like I started not following teams, but admiring players. Like I mentioned, first Messi, I did, I do like Ronaldo as well because of his hard work ethic. And then from there, I'll just see like you know, oh how other teams are doing. And I always, I would say I always been the type that I like the underdog more. So let's say I don't always just choose one team. I like the one, the story that you know they're going against the odds. No one expects them like Leicester. Those type of stories I love. That's what I enjoy about soccer, you know, because anybody could win. Prior to LAFC coming around and being announced, you know, did you at any points follow a specific club or has it always just been, like you said, just following the underdogs, 
throughout your whole time uh, or certain players that you would watch, but you never had like an actual club that you supported? Club no country, yes. Like I mentioned, I have Gabriel. My initial started to watch because I will follow the national team. Always liked it, you know, because you find pride in oneself because that's the team that represents your country, uh, your, your heritage. So that's why I started liking international soccer. And like I said, I do have a lot of uh, love for South America. So that's why whenever I, I remember the main World Cup that really got me into it as well was 2010, where a country I never heard of, even being South American, Uruguay, made it all the way to the semis. And it gave me such pride seeing, like, you know, them kind of representing us, let's say not just South Americans, but as well, like, Latino community, Hispanics, that we have somebody, like, let's say we could say the Raza making it so far. And after that, that's where I just really felt for the team. Like, I followed Uruguay, and they're kind of an underdog. You know, it's always Argentina-Brazil, Argentina-Brazil. So I always did like Uruguay for that fact. They're a small country, yet they're Fala Charuas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they don't give up. They keep fighting, and and I really like that type type of team, type of mentality. And, yeah, so after that, that's where I started following, let's say, players from wherever they play, you know, like Forlan. Really liked him, and he was like, like I mentioned, Atletico Madrid before. Yeah, he was there. I remember Manchester United, so I did have a little uh, love for Manchester United as well. But let's say club teams. To be honest, I would truly say LAC is my first club that I really hands on. I'm a fan. So, when did LAFC enter your radar, and how did you go from learning about this new club starting in Los Angeles to becoming a supporter? I think it could start in certain ways. I, I don't remember when. Exactly. Let's say I was starting to love, like I mentioned, the European leagues, Champions League. And then I really want to go to a game. Maybe that was around 2012, 2013. And I don't know where I heard it was like, uh, I believe, yeah, fall had to be fall. And I hear the team down, down in Carson was at on the finals. And I'm like, OK, cool. Maybe I should go watch one of those games. I checked tickets. And back then I was just a college student. They have that much funds. And I see a ticket was going for 130 and I'm like, nah, rather not. So I didn't go. Cool. Then a few year or two later, I was on my phone, you know, laying in bed on Facebook. On nowhere, I see an announcement saying new team coming to downtown LA. And it says, put down your deposit. There was no logo. All it just emphasized downtown LA. To me, at first, I thought it was a scam. But I was like, you know what? Just for the dream, I'll put down a deposit. So I put down the deposit and let's say a couple months passed. And eventually they, the next news I got was, oh, you know what? We're going to unveil the crest. Here's our first event. And it was going to be a union station. And that, from then on, it's history. Like they say, I got my first black and gold gear with the LAC logo. I still have that hoodie and the hat. And ever since then, yeah, I've been since 2015 for sure. Guarantee. I remember putting down the deposit on a, Facebook ad that literally had no logo, no location, no stadium or anything. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. So when you look at this LAFC roster, I know that Los Angeles is a melting pot and there is a large Mexican population here, but you know, being Ecuadorian and having Ecuadorian players, does that give you even more love and pride for this club, knowing that you have countrymen playing for your team? I could say yes. For example, the love for the team has been there, regardless, no matter what players were there or not. But I guess it does fall on the pride side. That gives me pride to know, let's say, fellow countrymen are in the team I love. That I could guarantee. 
And as well, for example, two of those players, I saw them before they were even in LAFC because they were representing Ecuador very proudly down in South America where they won the U-20 tournament. And usually Ecuador is one of the smaller nations. They don't really win that much. So that was one thing. And then seeing them playing in Poland and getting to the, I believe, the third place game. And they were so close to make it to the final, I believe. That was something amazing, too. And they did win third place. Correction. I do remember. They went third place. And let's say, uh, then I hear, like, you know, certain, let's say, at least he got Brian Rodriguez. And I was like, all right, that's cool, I guess. Like, he was part of the warranty that was in that tournament. But then they announced, uh, and I, while I was remembering, I was like, man, like, they should have gotten Ecuadorian. We went further. Sucks, but okay, whatever. What can you do? And then that's where I remember they announced Cheeky, and I was like, wow, we actually got one. And then after that, we ended up getting Sifu, a great guy to say, a great friend as well. He has helped us out with global diplomatic uh, projects. And then we got our third one, which for a little bit meant this, but it was very, very amazing to know. I have people that I have a connection with. Like we have certain heritage and roots to be in the team that I love and support. So let's go ahead and transition the conversation to global diplomatic. I've seen firsthand the impact that your organization has had on underprivileged children in multiple countries. But going all the way back, describe the origins of Global Diplomatic. Where does it come from and how did it get started? All right. Global Diplomatic was created by my dad. How it goes is in 2015, there was a huge earthquake in Ecuador that sadly lost people, lost their homes and lives. My dad always wants to always get back to his country. So um, let's say at that time, he would always be a volunteer at the local church. They would always do like, you know, outreach where they beat the, the homeless in San Bernardino because my dad lives in Fontana. So he decides like, why not make so, uh, fill up a freight to take supplies to those that need it in Ecuador. And uh, he was able to, with the help of the, the church community, Santa Maria, they were able to fill a trailer freight. And he actually rounded up, like, fundraised to get enough money to send it to Ecuador. The sad part was, once they got there, it just got stuck in a port. Because of politics and, I guess, paperwork or what what can you say, they just held it. A bunch of supplies, literally, like, half of it went to waste. Let's say a bunch of cereal got be infested by rats, so that all had to be thrown away. Certain clothes got damaged. And literally, it stayed there for months, not even reaching the people. But my dad actually ended up doing was having to fly to Ecuador to kind of get it out and actually at least provide the certain things that they did have to the people. And from then on, he said, like, you know what, if I'm just trying to bank on help, just donate, give to an organization. Sometimes you don't know if it reaches to the people you want to help. So that's where he started the whole organization with an emphasis of giving the stuff directly to the people. That's why, if, uh, for example, you've seen the event in Tijuana, we went straight to the orphanage, brought the truck, and then even handed it out to the workers there, put it in the main hall, and as well, it gives a certain, I guess, person-to-person um, -person feel to it. Because I find it more impacting that, let's say, a child, yeah, you could donate, and it reaches them like $5 for a little snack. But you spending time with them, conversating, and buying that snack, they appreciate that way more because they see that you actually see them and you're giving what a lot of people don't have that much sometimes, time. And that's where I believe it grew too, since our origins over there. 
from the earthquake. And yeah, since then, my dad has helped in Mexico many times, especially because when he came to the United States, those Mexicans, the Mexican uh, community that helped him be able to make it to here. And that's why he always wants to give back for those that helped him throughout like his life, you know? When you look at some of the locations that you've gone to, you know, when we played in our first time going in the Conca Champions League, you had scheduled an event in León. You guys have had partnerships with the supporters at Real Salt Lake three times, the supporters and San Jose three times. You've done Colorado once. What is it outside of just coordinating an opportunity with the local community, but you're also, you know, involving supporters from the opposite club that we're playing in. It's very much a overall friendly environment. You know, where did that idea come in? What made you want to not only reach out to the communities where we're traveling for, but also reach out to the supporters from the other team? Okay, that side came in hand in San Jose, I could say. First time I ever went to San Jose, it was a family trip. No planning to do anything. Just, you know, I just want to go to my first away game. And I remember the year prior was the one where there was like a thousand LEC supporters that went. And uh, basically they had a great time. Bella scored a hat-trick or I believe that might have been his first hat-trick. But for sure he had the brace. And I really regretted not going to that game. Really wish I had gone. So that's why I was like, you know what, next away game, for sure I'm going there. And then to my surprise, we go there. And we're only allowed to be in the parking lot. We can't walk around. We got to wait till we're all escorted in. And I have young children, Remy and Casey. And they love to explore. They're five and four now. So they want to walk around. They want to see. There's always those fan fests. And no, right there, we have to stay in our corner. Felt like we were like, I guess, and some people put it incarcerated. You know, we're, we're being like, have the wardens around and just watching us, not letting us go anywhere. And I just felt like, well, for sure I knew why. It's because there's always violence. Especially, you know, different supporters. They think they're the tough one. Or they see, let's say, the way team as the invading force. So that's where the idea came to me. Like, you know, they can't all be people that just want to fight. I'm a family man. I'm not there to fight. There must be other families that feel the same way on the other side. And that's where, like, the idea came. Like, literally, you know... One thing that my dad has made us grow up with was wherever we go, like let's say on a vacation, help out some something in the community. Pass by a local church, help out some people outside, you know, asking for money or bring bags of food when we're driving down the countryside and give out to whoever we see right there, you know, asking. So from then on, that's already embedded in us. So that's why I felt like, you know what, like maybe whenever I do a away game, why not do something? that might help the community and also get the other side to come together. Because the main goal, I would say, is to eliminate violence. And what better way is by being a force for good, taking that from LAC, in the community. So that's where the whole idea of a way game community event started. And for the purpose, like I said, to eliminate violence. I've been privileged enough to have joined you on a couple trips south of the border. Uh, one down to Tijuana to an orphanage there. And the epic event that you put on in Leon, which was a life impacting event for me. And you could clearly see that it was for the children there as well, too. For the listeners who are not familiar with those two trips, kind of describe LAFC's involvement in the trip down to Leon and, and what Global Diplomatic was able to execute while they were down there. Where did I start? <laughs> the whole idea, how it came to place or the execution part? 
fire away. Just just tell us the story of Global Diplomatic and Leon. I believe um, prior to that, uh, we hadn't done any projects involving the black and gold. I, I, that I can remember, I really believe that was the first one ever. And it kind of falls in hand, like I said, going on a way trip to do some force for good. Something I, I did not mention was that part of it, and you felt it, when you go somewhere and you help somebody in need, and you see that gratitude, that that sparkle in their eyes, that they weren't expecting it, and you're giving them that help, it gives a warm feeling inside. Let's say you could be having a bad day, but you have that feeling, like you forget like you, what you were dealing with. Or maybe problems at home, problems abroad, or whatever. And I remembered one time, Copa America Centenario. Sorry if I'm going off topic. Ecuador's playing here against our bitter rivals, Peru, in Arizona. This could be said my first away game. I drove from downtown LA all the way to Glendale, Arizona to watch him play. Cool. It was fun. Got there. Five hours in the heat, middle of summer. And um, first half, Ecuador's losing 2 0. And I'm livid. I'm pissed. Um, I really took a day off from work, drove how many miles, and I'm watching my team lose our bitter rival. Thank God they tied. Game ends 2-2. I left. All right. I wasn't pissed. I wasn't red no more. And yeah. And then I just thought, I was like, damn, that really sucks. You go to an away game, supporting your team, and they lose. Like, Of course, they're giving their all, but still, it gives you a sense of feeling of like of a letdown. So... I, that's where I remembered, like, you know what, like, whenever I go and do a, a project community helping out somebody in need, I don't feel that way. I might have lost, might have had a bad day, like I mentioned, completely forgot about it. So that's why I felt like, why not do it, one, and lay on. Two was, it was our first international away game. And one thing I like to do whenever I do projects, I like to have them be symbolic, mean something, a first of something in honor of that. That's why it fitted perfectly, Leon. Because it was the first time LEC was participating in the Conca Cup Champions League. And two, our first away game internationally. So that's where the idea came. And it's one of those that I didn't look back on. This is what I want to do and this is what we're going to do. And that's how it started, the whole thought process. And and yeah, like to looking back, it's amazing what we were able to accomplish with everybody's support and help. So for those who, who don't remember, when we went down to Leon, we visited an orphanage there that was what I mean two blocks from the stadium where the team played. And these kids had never had a chance to go and see their home team in their life. We brought them a ton of supplies that were donated by the LAFC community, took funds that were donated and procured more supplies down there and showered these kids with gifts. Every kid that had a birthday that month got a birthday gift. Every kid left with a new backpack, new school supplies, and then a bunch, of course, of soccer balls as well, too. And we went out onto the small pitches they had there, and we played a pickup game with these kids. And you could tell it was like Christmas and their birthday rolled into one for these kids, who, in hearing some of their personal stories, had been through just some otherworldly trauma that these poor kids had had to go through in their lives and how they had lost their parents or ended up at this orphanage. And then LAFC and Global Diplomatics surprising these kids at the end of the event with tickets to come see the game. And there's just tears pouring down these kids' faces about their first ever opportunity to go and see a team that plays two blocks from the orphanage. And yet they had never had a chance to go and see that game. And then just the looks on their faces when they were in the stadium and the impact that we made, albeit in just two quick days 
on those kids' lives will, will be something that I will remember forever. And opportunities like that are exactly what being a force for good in LAFC is all about. And I'm so happy that Carlos has continued those efforts around the MLS All-Star Game. They did work not only here near the stadium in taking care of homeless people and underprivileged families in Los Angeles. We went down to Tijuana and did another orphanage event down there as well, too. Another very impactful, very positive event in the community down there. But those are all in the past. And we have something very big on the horizon. Our first ever trip down to Costa Rica. We are back in Conca Champions. And Carlos, you have something planned for our game versus Alajuense. So why don't you go ahead and fill the fans in on what the plan is, how they can participate with everything that's getting planned right now for our Costa Rica away days. All right. It's a great honor once again. Like I said, we're back in the Coca-Cola Champions League. Like I said, it falls into place where I said, like, I find it worth celebrating. That's why I do these events. So this time around, we try to find a place close to the stadium. We found a transition home called Asociación Al Niño con Cariño. They have 31 girls that face uh, poverty and sadly some circumstances. And basically, they're taking care Monday through Friday by nuns. And they are able to go with family members on the weekend. But Monday to Friday, they usually just go study, get classes. And yeah, I found out when I was reaching out that there's another place that they never had an opportunity to go game. Find once again, how, how it was for Leon. I mean, a stadium a couple blocks away and not knowing what, let's say, the joy or the love of the beautiful game is so that's why we also do it like we want to show the next generation this love that we have the sport that gives us so many memories so much impact that really is our lives now so that was the choice that i felt was perfect we have reached out to their supporters as well and they have joined us them and their fo and i could say like we're like we always try to improve on our last project and so far things are going well we have already gotten confirmation from Alawalense, their fo the tickets for the kids as well as they even told us we're going to be able to take at least 22 girls as the player escorts during the beginning of the match so that is something big that i dreamed of and we were able to accomplish so i'm so proud of that and for the most part like you touch upon we celebrate what seems to be a Christmas and a birthday. Well, we call those global days. And basically, whenever we go to an orphanage or, for example, transition home, we, one, try to gather everybody, and we go and say that we're going to celebrate the birthdays of the month. We do this by having a, a clown to perform, entertain. We have birthday gifts for the birthday girls or boys, as well as try to get gifts for everyone else. We try to give gifts to everyone because sadly we can't be there year round to give everyone a gift on their birthdays. But mainly that's the focus as well. We bring either a type of food they are craving that they don't get that much. For example, many orphanages that we go, that we find out local volunteers around the community sometimes cook their home cooked meals, which is great, but they don't get the chance to try a pizza or a burger or even some of the, or not that they don't get it, but they have favorites, let's say, of the local cuisine. 
the one in TJ, they really liked gorditas. So those are nice because let's say uh, us, let's say maybe some of us never been to Mexico, like the TJ trip. We get to try the local cuisine and break bread amongst uh, the children there. So I always found that amazing and great. So we do that and then we try it, end it, like I mentioned, to show the next generation the love of the game with a soccer match with uh, either with uh, our volunteers versus the, the children or a team mix or what we were going to do this time in Ale Valencia will be us against their supporters. And after that, we'll have a team like of, of some of the girls that want to play the game play. So, yeah. So those is what we call Global Day. Tell us about some of the, the donations that you're looking to try and get before you guys leave and how people can participate, what the deadline is, because, you know, I know that you guys have to make sure that you ship things off with ample time to arrive in Costa Rica. So, you know, what is the what are ways that people can donate? What are some of the items that you're looking for and what's the deadlines? For this time from, like, say, from every, I guess, always learn from prior projects and i get i believe johnson could be a testament to this we found out shipping things is not so great there's always things get stuck things get lost and apart from that it's kind of costly and what we found is better just to buy the things there because one it helps out the local uh, community there we usually try to go to shops like the mom and pops you know so for this instance what our main goal is uh, for the most part, the things I want to cover, I can say thank God have been accomplished. Take the girls to the game and be able to come out as mascots. So from then on, that's where I find out what is the biggest necessity of the home orphanage or transition home that they have. And what they told us is that they need beds. They have the 31 girls, but they have a waiting list of over 20. They would love to receive them, but sadly, they can't because there's no place for them to sleep. So for that reason, that's our objective. We're aiming at 10. And we're hoping at least five. And that's a full bed frame, mattress, pillow, and sheets. Right now, we're having a campaign where we've broken it up. Let's say a $100 donation gets us a mattress. 51 gets us the frame. And 25 the bed sheets and 10 a pillow. And that all we plan to get over there because, for example, certain places have certain codes, or I guess, um, I'm not sure if it's the right word, codes, but uh, they have to have, let's say, uniform. You know, like everything has to look the same because they don't want to cause any type of, um, I'm not sure if it's the right word to say envy, but let's say envy, that one person has a better bed than the other. So that's why they try to all get stuff from the same place. So that's why it doesn't. We, we're not able to, let's say, bring let's say some bed sheets from here over there because it doesn't fall into place with what they're already using throughout the, the installation. So for that reason, that's why we're planning just to collect this time. But one thing that I, that I do ask if it's that if people want to donate something physically is one thing that we always seen throughout anywhere. Shoes is something they usually is something people don't really receive. They're usually able to get shirts and sh- and shorts but shoes are uh, we think kids will uh, open shoes uh look like they're talking or holes holes in the bottom so that's one thing that if possible we would like to do and for the most part we do plan to do a raffle soon where we did get a, a generous donation from flex uh some drills some flex drills 
as well as LEC has donated us an autographed jersey that we plan to raffle to collect those funds to try to get the remaining bets we have because thankfully I could say we have three bets completed. Three bets that we have enough to buy them the whole set. Pillow, bed sheets, mattress, and bed frame. So we're aiming for seven more. And I truly believe that if we all come together, we'll be able to accomplish uh, this mission to provide those beds so they're able to help out more girls. Some quick top of the head math there says that that's about $186 for a complete set. So for 10 complete sets, you're looking at about $1,860. You've got three complete sets. So we're still about $1,300 away from the goal. So I think a raffle could easily accomplish that. Fans don't have to do anything more than buy a raffle ticket, and you could be supporting this very noble cause. So where is that raffle going to take place? And more importantly, how can people purchase tickets? We're going to try to release a flyer by tomorrow. The idea is a raffle will be on till game day over there in Costa Rica the night. Because apart from trying to get, let's say, our main goals to get the beds, but as well as what we did in Leon, I think maybe you witnessed, we also bought food for them at the game. So that's where part of the funds as well go, is to also be able to provide them, you know, some snacks, some ice cream. I remember was really beautiful over there in, in Leon. I could say the Empire Boys, they joined us and one volunteer, you know what, I'm going to buy ice cream for all of them. And I remember a, a friend now, Manny Ortega, he decided to donate tortas for everybody. So those are those little examples where people come and they do that little support that goes a long way because we weren't expecting it. We were trying to figure out like in our budget, not even our budget. At that point, it was just like out of our own pockets, how to help out. And out of the kindness of their hearts, we were able to do that. And that's why I really like to emphasize that I'm proud to be black and gold because we are a family because they saw us trying to like figure out something and it, without a hesitation, I got this, we'll help out. So that's why I say like, I'm proud to be LAFC. So if someone wants to just simply make a direct donation to Global Diplomatic, we know you can find you guys at Global Diplomatic on Instagram. Is there any other places where a person could reach out and make a donation? We are updating our website. I do believe the donation section is still open. We do, um, we have our Venmo. We have a Zelle. I could provide the names, I guess. Uh, Venmo is Global Diplo. And our Global Zelle is 909-829-8716. And like I've mentioned, we are a 501c3. We are able to provide the tax deduction receipts for those that do donate and request it. So there you go, folks. Tax deductible donation. $183 could get a young lady in desperate need of a new situation off the streets and into this organization down in Costa Rica, plus money to hopefully put on a pretty swanky event for them. We're talking clowns, we're talking birthday party, and we're talking school supplies and necessary items and supporting small businesses down in Costa Rica as well too. Carlos, it just, it blows my mind what you and your family are able to accomplish through Global Diplomatic and just year after year, you guys keep rolling out these events that are truly, truly taking 
shoulder to shoulder and a force for good to another level. And, you know, on behalf of the entire black and gold family, just just it blows my mind. Thank you so much for what you guys do with this. Alawense being the majority of your focus at the moment. Are there any plans for future events throughout the course of this season? Yes. Um, let's say, for example, like I say, San Jose is now a yearly thing. We come in agreement with the fans and I could say friends that I have now over there on the San Jose side that they also look forward to. It. It's like, hey, when are you guys coming? Like, we know of this community right here that we might help. And this time being Cinco de Mayo weekend, we want to make something big. So right now we're still in the process to kind of fine tune it. One idea was to maybe go to a farm and help out some migrant workers. And one goal or wish we would have liked to try to do is take them to watch the game. Like I said, deep down, I want to give the opportunity of enjoying the game. Many of them don't have that chance because, one, they don't have the financial stability or I could say, or maybe they're not able to spend that money because they might be sending that money back home to help other families there. So they don't have those opportunities to go to watch a game, what we luckily have the luxury of doing. So that was one idea for sure. Apart from that, this year is uh, the inaugural Leagues Cup. I would love to try to do what we did for when the MLS uh, All-Stars face the Liga Mekis All-Stars. Go back to TJ, maybe even the same orphanage we went prior, and do another uh, global day there. You know, Once again, the two nations, the two leagues are coming together, so why not celebrate that? So that was one of the other projects. Apart from those, uh, I do have personal goal of trying to do one of these uh, supporter alliance events with one new MLS team every year. Last year, we did not have the opportunity. So this year, I do want to make up by trying to either try Portland. Uh, One of the future goals is when we go back to Miami, because I know we already have a little connection there uh, from how I heard you guys had a great time last year when sports went down there. So yeah, so that is my goal right there, you know, try to do one team eventually to get them all. And have this uh, this new idea because wherever we've gone, like I guess people are amazed that you know what, like I would never have even talked to you, and that we have so many things in common, same goals, same ideas, and the same loves of one, the beautiful game, and two, helping others, and that's why it's so like amazing that literally, if I didn't do these projects, there's so many people I would never have met, and now I could, like I mentioned, I consider them friends. And that's what it's all about, you know, like this game, it brings people together. So I'm really looking forward to those. And yeah, can't wait. (laughs) I know we have fans of other clubs that listen to this podcast. So if you are interested in having an LAFC away day at your stadium involve a community event, please reach out at Global Diplomatic. Get in contact with Carlos and let's get the wheels going. Maybe this season or next, we could have a global day in your community as well, too. Carlos, you've been very generous with your time. We know you got to get back to your little ones. We have one final question for you. I'm kind of going to break it up into a two-parter because normally we ask every guest on this show what shoulder-to-shoulder means to them. But I'm curious, not only what does shoulder-to-shoulder mean to you, Carlos, but what does shoulder-to-shoulder mean to Global Diplomatic as well? I truly believe shoulder to shoulder kind of falls in uh, a phrase I, I've been taught that let's say if everyone comes together, let's say shoulder to shoulder and puts a little grain of sand, we could create mountains. 
And those type of mountains are what we are able to do great things for those that are in need. So that's what I would say shoulder to shoulder means to me as well as Global Diplomatic, that together we could create mountains truly. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening. Again, folks, our guest has been Carlos Aguirre. You can find him at Global Diplomatic. Please stay tuned for the raffle coming up to help raise money for the Alajuense Away Days in Costa Rica. You could make a direct donation through their social media as well, too, to Global Diplomatic. Carlos, again, just thank you for everything that you do uh, to help rep the black and gold and to be you know, a part of the community globally, wherever this brand of LAFC ends up wandering throughout the course of the world and making sure that we're making it a better place wherever we go. So from all of us, thank you to that. Folks, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Sam Spiller, today's opponent correspondent, to get us ready for our game against the Portland Timbers. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. Joining us is our opponent correspondent this week and making yet another triumphant return to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. One of the most beloved members of our opponent correspondent community is none other than Stumptown Footy's finest, Sam Spiller. He is here to spill us in on all things pertinent to the pesky pine trees of Portland. Sam, welcome back to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Somehow the intro has gotten better. It's it's impressive, really, how it is so many years. <laughs> yeah, happy to be back. Yeah, third, fourth time. I'll thank you, track, But yeah, happy to be back and happy to welcome you to the uh, club of team of fans who of teams who have won MLS Cup. Welcome, welcome. There's there's a few of us here. So yeah, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, star feels good. I will say. When Portland first won in 2015 and I got that first jersey at the start of that, that felt pretty good. It definitely feels pretty good. We are pretty ecstatic about it. Welcome to the show. We know it has been a busy offseason for Portland, so let's go ahead and dive right into it. Let's start with some additions to the front office. You've got a brand new general manager, Ned Gravelboy. You've got a brand new CEO in Heather Davis. What are the initial fans' reactions to the changes at the front office? Uh, the reactions are a lot. They're a little mixed. I think uh, if you've been following a lot of the news, what's well, going in around U.S. soccer since like last fall, um, a lot of, particularly the report that was released by Sally Yates in U.S. soccer into uh, wrongdoing and you know misconduct within women's soccer across uh, America, um, the Portland Thorns organization was heavily implicated in that. And so at that point, it kind of looked like, okay, some sort of change has to happen. It didn't happen as quick as some fans wanted. And it's still not quite at the point where I think a lot of the fan base wants, but it is leading to the point where uh, Thorns owner Merritt Paulson is selling the Portland Thorns, the NWSL team. And for the Portland side of it, um, it's definitely led to some change there. I think not as much as fans would have liked. I think fans wanted a full split, a full Merritt Paulson selling both of the clubs, um, him kind of stepping aside, removing himself from the uh, CEO and operations role. Um, it means he's not as seen as much. He's not the public face anymore. He's still there. He's still kind of looming in the background, I think, is kind of how the the, the feeling feels right now. Um, some fans are still upset by that. I think there is a very strong portion of the fan base that wants both clubs sold and to be sold together so they can remain as kind of one, one entity, which is a concern. 
Um, and there's others that I think are also wanting to understand that, you know, it isn't okay. We want them gone. And this has been going on for almost two years. We kind of want to think about the soccer, get back to that. So there's a lot of conflicting emotions, a lot of, a lot of feelings around it. It does feel like this is still a backdrop under which the MLS season and the NWSL seasons are going to be played for Portland. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of the reality that they're kind of living through. I noticed in the Apple TV, oh, what is it, club profiles, there's mm-hmm. like a heavy piece on Merritt Paulson in there. And I was just thinking to myself, like, oh, read the room, guys. Like, maybe <laughs> leave that part out for now. But with him staying on in the ownership role, I have to imagine that's a little awkward because in the Yates report, he was mentioned quite a few times. So that is a little spicy. Um, I was more concerned, uh, at least at the moment, with what the fans' reactions are primarily to a new general manager, right? Because that's that's much more influential on the day-to-day operations of the soccer business. The optics outside of that, and thank you for touching on it, and I think we went into at length the last time you visited us, have been discussed ad nauseum. Probably not something we need to peel the scab back off of at this moment, but going forward, what are the thoughts on the new general manager and the role they're going to play in rebuilding the squad? Yeah, so it's Ned Grabavoy, former MLS player. He signed for Portland in 2016 as a player, retired, joined the front office. He's been part of the Timbers kind of technical operations since then, since 2017. So he has experience within the organization. That's a plus for him. Um, He has been uh, their technical director for the past two seasons, I think. And so now he's finally, uh, he was made the interim general manager once uh, Gavin Wilkinson, former GM, was fired. Now he's got the full-time job. Um, he will be the first to tell you that he still has a lot to learn. He'll be the first one to say that there is still some things that he needs to learn about running a club, all of the operations for it. Um, he's been very transparent about how he's still learning and growing and trying to get the right people around him for the role. Um, the plus is that he's had years to learn from Gavin Wilkinson, which, you know, for the faults of the man, he did prove to be an effective general manager in MLS. So, you know, uh, Grab a Boy has pedigree. He has some experience. He was seen as one of the stronger, quote unquote, number two guys in the league um, amongst kind of soccer execs across uh, teams. So he's got, you know, th- there is some faith kind of put into him and he's got a steep learning curve. I think a lot of fans are a little discouraged with the lack of movement that the Timbers have made with some of their players this year, which we can get into. And I think they're going to have to practice some patience with kind of waiting for Grappleway to get his feet underneath him, to fill out his technical staff, to, you know, kind of start to build himself within MLS because it's especially tough to hit the ground running as a new GM or soccer uh, president of soccer in MLS, especially so under the conditions that he did. Some things are new, but some things are the same. You also re-signed Giovanni Savarese until 2025. To me, the group, the club, the supporters, the fans are behind that decision. It feels that way, at least. And the embrace at the end of first match spoke volumes, I thought. Yeah, I would agree. I think Savarese sticking around is an important piece of continuity. When you have a new GM coming in, a lot of change off the field, you need to have some you know, consistency somewhere. And Geo sticking around is a big part of that. There were some rumors that maybe he was going to uh, go uh, go coach in Italy. There was another teams that were poking around. And so 
Portland locked him up for, you know, a few more years. And as of that game, like you mentioned, their, their win on, on Monday night, which is weird to say, but Monday night was uh, he became the winningest coach in Timbers history with notching his 69th. Yes, a very nice win um, there. So uh, he's got he's got the backing of the team. He's got some continuity, consistency. Um, I think it's an important piece for the team when there's a lot kind of going on elsewhere to have that consistent figure of the coach uh, in, in in Geo kind of sticking around. Well, he is officially the giggity gaffer, as people are referring to him now with his 69th victory, which I find very amusing. I did not coin that phrase, but I, I find it amusing nonetheless. <laughs> Great win for you guys on Monday. You know, in addition to, to starting off the season with three points, got to carve the 600th slab off of the tree trunk. Congratulations on reaching the sixth century mark in goals scored for the franchise. An impressive, impressive win. I want to dive into the starting 11 of that in just a minute. But first, I kind of want to wind back to the offseason talk a little bit and talk about some of the additions and subtractions attractions amongst the notable additions to me none stands out more than Evander da Silva Ferreira that is definitely the big signing coming from Vasco da Gama we're talking about somebody who's got you know 27 appearances in Champions League and Europa League this is a big signing it seems like the team is really invested heavily in this performance so talk about not only that addition but the other moves that have happened to the roster throughout the course of this offseason yeah, Evander is the guy. Like he is, I think, the highest transfer in MLS this offseason. I think he was the most expensive. He was the most expensive transfer fee Portland has ever played, paid for a uh, player's reportedly around $10 million. Um, that's a huge investment. That's the most investment that uh the Timbers have had in a player in some time. And the biggest expectations, like you said, that's been heaped onto a player uh in in a bit. He's kind of seen as going to be the next, you know, Diego Valeri style player for the Timbers, be that creative midfielder, that creative fulcrum, that player who can just elevate everybody else around him, make every single player around him better. It's a lot of expectations to be put on him. And they're going to have to hope that he hits those because they didn't make a ton of other additions like you referenced. Um, the only other incoming signing that they made, they made just late last week when they signed uh, Eric Miller, uh, MLS veteran defender to a free agent signing. Um, there's rumors of them bringing in a center forward uh, coming in. Uh, hopefully, I think it'll happen probably within a week here. Um, outside of that, it's pretty much it. They uh, uh, declined contracts for a few depth players. They declined the loan option for Jose Carlos Fedronkin. Um, so, you know, got got rid of some players who are maybe extraneous. They brought in those two big players. Um, you could consider also a uh, new right back who scored that aforementioned 600th goal Monday night, Juan Mosquera, uh, 20 year old uh, U22 Colombian player. He played, I think, two and a half games, two and a quarter games last year, um, barely saw the field. So he can basically be considered a new signing. Um, but the, the big one is Evander. Like he's the big investment in time, he's the big investment in the team, I think he's going to be seen to be the guy. And Portland, it's not too far of a stretch to say that Portland's success this year will be directly tied to how well he settles into MLS. Stole our thunder a little bit. And is that center forward you're talking about? Tommy Scoops talking about Frank Boli from Berenc yep. Varos? Probably butchering that, but that's supposed to, be, <laughs> supposed to be a Tam signing, according to him, age 29, two goals in 77 minutes in the Champions League group stage so far. So very promising. I think 
the lack of consistency, I guess the tough thing to do for any MLS team is a consistent number nine. And I think you all are putting your chips on the table to to be able to bring him in, hopefully contribute in that way, it seems like. Yeah, it's an interesting signing because like you said, he's a TAM signing. So he's not going to make DP money. I don't think they can bring in another DP based upon their cap and U22 situation. Um, with him coming in, Portland essentially has three or four forwards that are all roughly at about the same level, at least on paper, with Boley, you know, potentially being soon, uh, Yaroslav Nizgoda, Nathan Fakasha, and uh, Felipe Mora, who will be coming back from injury in a few months. So none of those guys really jumps off the page as, oh, he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the starting forward. I think, obviously, if you invest money in a TAM player, he's going to play. He's going to get the chances to win that role. And Seferese hasn't been afraid to change things up when players aren't performing or when he needs to challenge players. So that center forward spot, it was arguably one of Portland's biggest weaknesses last year. They didn't get the production from center forward that they needed to, you know, make a play, make the playoffs because they missed out. And, you know, it's going to have to be one of the areas that they're going to need to improve. I think the logic is Evander scores goals. He's going to pick up some of that. And if they can get a center forward in front of him who can help stretch the field and make space for him, then the whole kind of recipe starts to come together. It starts to feel a little more coherent. Like you said, Portland has found it tough to find a consistent starting number nine in a few years here. So I think the way they're doing is they're kind of um, having their hands in a few baskets and seeing which one hits and seeing which one kind of becomes the hot hand that they can ride, you know, throughout the season. You've touched on the theme of injuries, and that's sadly something that also reared its head on Monday. But but going back, you mentioned Mora. Do we have a timetable for his return? And Espria as well, too, with knee surgery. Uh, what's the ETA in return for both of those players? Yeah, not anytime soon. I think especially with Mora, they're not going to want to rush him back. They kind of did last year. He never quite fully recovered, barely played and wound up basically missing the entire season. So he's probably going to be around May, maybe May or June, I would expect. Probably Darren Espria, maybe a little bit earlier, April or so. I think they has his prognosis was four weeks, four or five weeks. Um, so, you know, those are two two big guys who can contribute. Darren Espria was Portland's joint top scorer last year. Um, Felipe Mora was their top scorer in 2021. So your top two scorers for the past two years that are still on the shelf and coming into the season. Um, Injuries at early season seems to be a theme for Portland. And like you referenced, Jimmy Chara went down holding his hamstring, appeared to be a pretty tough hamstring pull. Safarese confirmed in post-game press conference that it's going to be a matter of weeks. Um, so Portland suddenly is pretty thin on the forward line, considering that they got two starters or you know guys who can start uh, sitting on the bench. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and fast forward the clock to the discussion around this weekend's match versus LAFC. What is your anticipated starting 11? And most importantly, who's going to be stepping up for Yimmy Chara? Yeah, I think I want to say it'll be Alias Ivacic in goal, but it might be David Bingham. He had a good game on Monday. He's been the guy through preseason. I think Ivacic is the type of guy that if he can stand on even just one leg, he's going to want to play. Um, so Savarez is going to have to be cautious about maybe holding him back if he's not 100%. I think if he is 100%, he'll start. I think the back line will stay the same. It'll be Juan Mascara, right back, Dario Zuparic and Zach McGraw at center back. I think it'll still be Justin Rasmussen at left back, second year player. He had a rough go a little bit of it against Sporting Kansas City's wingers. So Talk about that because I know y'all got some good wingers down there in LA. 
Um, so uh, then you'll have uh, Diego Chara and Eric Williamson uh, and Evander in the midfield. Um, I think you'll probably see Santiago Moreno start instead of Jimmy Chara. He didn't start last week, but I think he'll start instead of Jimmy Chara. Marvin Luria on one side. Um, center forward, it's probably going to be Yaroslav Nizgoda. It might be Nathan. Does it matter? I don't know. Probably not. So I think it'll be very similar to the starting level we saw on Monday with Moreno coming in uh, for, for Jimmy Chara. We saw in the last match Paredes come in. I keep wanting to call him Fakasha, but uh, I know that's not it. Uh, Fakasha come in. Gutierrez came in as well, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Any thoughts that, I mean, I think that, you know, the team looked pretty good after those substitutions that they might get a start? I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I think Sabarese likes continuity, first and foremost, and he hasn't been afraid to change it up if he needs to. Nathan and uh, Yaroslav Nizgoda are different styles of forward. Nizgoda has a tendency to kind of drop deep, kind of pull off of defenders to drop into the play, into the midfield. He's not very mobile, can't create his own shot. He can't create his own space. Um, He needs guys around him to do that. Nathan just runs. He runs and runs and runs. He almost scored a goal just for doing it in stoppage time on Monday on a breakthrough. So um, if Gio wants energy and wants to hit on the counterattack, which is very likely going to be the game plan on Saturday, I wouldn't be surprised if Nathan starts. Diego Gutierrez is an interesting player. He's also a second-year player, but he always looks like he belongs in the few minutes that he's played. Um, so I, I don't think he's going to start. I think Severese likes Luria, Marvin Luria, a little bit more. Um, but uh, Diego Gutierrez is going to be the first guy off the bench uh, on the winger depth, especially if Portland is uh, is chasing a goal or two <laughs> later on in the game. I was going to say, you don't say that we're going to play counter. <laughs> brand, brand new tactic this year. Soccer. Oh, I know. Portland playing <laughs> attacking soccer on, on the road. Oh, who would have thought? <laughs> no. I think that's that's their bread and butter. It's what they've made. It's what Savarese plays when, you know, it, it's very straightforward. It's simple. I think the players know how to play it. Um, I think if Portland can do it smart, the problem last season was they did not do it very smartly. They left a lot of gaps in between their midfield and their defense, which many teams took advantage of. So if they can do it smart, it's effective. Um, the question is if. I mean, they're coming off a game at home where they still only manage 43% possession. It just doesn't look like this is a team that really wants the ball the majority of the time. I mean, if you're going against Sporting Kansas City at home and, and you're going to have 40% possession, I think they the only segment of the game they won possession was immediately coming out of the half. Uh, every other segment of the game, they had less or 50% possession. And so, I mean, you can clearly see that uh, aside from one key moment that was clearly circled on the whiteboard as as we're going to press in this moment. Uh, that's just not the style that they want to play. The style they do want to play and something that does seem fairly consistent year to year is four shots on goal, but three yellow cards. If somebody said what team had four shots on goal and three yellow cards, I, I guarantee you Portland would be in my top three picks every single time someone read me that stat line. So physicality and counterattacking seems to be the mentality that's been pervasive from year to year. Would you agree that that is the methodology going forward this year as well? It's one of them. Definitely. I think the surprise of Monday was that Diego Charo wasn't showing a yellow card. Um, a lot of other players were, but he wasn't. Um, so he's holding, he's, he's waiting for it. He's going to make that grand yellow card debut on Saturday. Um, yeah, I think Savarese's teams, you're definitely on the right track with the way they like to play. They're definitely opportunistic. They can use the ball when they really want to. They can press. You see it a lot more often at home. And 
they'll oftentimes press, get a goal early, and then go into more of a mid-block defensively. That's just kind of their instincts and how Gio likes to set up his teams. Um, it's very like dictated by the game state. Um, it gives fans and those who cover the teams a lot of anxiety <laughs> because it leads to games like Monday where they don't have a lot of possession. They have to defend a lot of crosses. It definitely feels like at times, oh my God, they're going to lose the game. And yet they somehow are able to stay, pull it together and you know pull out a win. And you know even if it's a gritty 1-0 win, I would have loved if it was more, but that's just kind of how they like to play. Um, I think the physicality piece of it you definitely are seeing it with the back lines, particularly the center backs. Dario Zuparic and Zach Pagar are big boys. Um, they're also pretty mobile, both center backs, so they're not afraid to put in a tackle, get physical, get right up on uh, attackers, forwards, let them know that they're there. Definitely saw that a couple of times. It it worked. You know, I think it set some of sporting sports off a little bit while they could generate good looks. You know, they they didn't quite get around to finishing them. So I think they had average on one or so expected goal, I think, in the in the game. And, and the most of that was off of just three or four, like, really good chances. And most of the crosses were cleared and dealt with. So Portland, I wouldn't say that they're, like, a physical, physical team. Like, we're not talking, like, crunching tackles all the time. Like, you know, your old school Colorado Rapids or whatever. Um, I think they definitely are opportunistic in how they play. And when they set a line for confrontation, they definitely like to keep it. Um, sometimes they tend to drop a little deep, a little too deep, in my opinion, but for the most part, they definitely, they play you straight up. Like they're not gonna, you know, roll over more often than not. With all that said, how do you think this weekend's going to go? <laughs> I'm bracing myself for it now because my initial instinct is it ain't going to be pretty for a few reasons. I think you saw last game, um, Portland dealt with sporting's press fairly well and there was definitely still multiple times that they were able to get good spots sporting got good spots for crosses um my read of that is if that's a game that's played with teams in mid-season form or say sporting's in mid-season form or a team that maybe has like a little bit sharper strikers or attackers maybe it ends a little bit differently and hey would you look at that they're playing a team that on paper has some super sharper a little more talented attackers in lafc on saturday i mentioned justin rasmussen kind of having a tough game yeah, that was against Daniel Shalloway. Now he's got to go up against Denis Buanga and Carlos Vela and LAFC's, you know, attacking front three. Um, so it's going to be tough. Uh, Portland will not have most possession in that game. That is not going to happen. I would guarantee that. Um, they're probably going to sit deep. They're probably going to invite pressure forward and try to counterattack, kind of like I said. Um, they're going to have to play smart if they want to, you know, keep track of things. Because as we discovered last time these two teams met, in in portland when lafc clinched the shield if you turn off for just one second boom then lafc can hit you they lafc is a team that has that type of talent that type of just top end attacking skill that can just punish you um in in any second so you know if portland's gonna have a chance to kind of get anything out of that game which if they get a draw i would be over the moon at this point in the season um if they're hoping to get at least that or, or anything more they're gonna have to be smart and play play a tough game. They're going to have to play it strong. Um, I think these two teams, when they met early season last year, a little bit of a choppier game, you know, I think 1-1. One, one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something similar and LAFC's attacking core is, is as good, you know, on paper, as good as it's been. There are a couple terms thrown around as far as advantages, right? The short rest, playing on Monday, having to travel and then play again on Saturday. 
Now, some people are saying, oh, gosh, the rest issue. There's the other argument of the rust issue for LAFC, that the extended amount of time off, the cancellation of the Rose Bowl Derby, that that could potentially be an advantage for Portland. Uh, Where do you fall on the rest versus rust? Would you rather have the week off, not have played your first game and, and be, you know, a home opener with a ring ceremony, a flag ceremony, all that pomp and circumstance that can be a distraction for LAFC? Or is the short rest going to be the bigger issue in this game? There's good arguments either way. Well, I think it depends. I hope Portland doesn't get stuck on a plane in the snow like the the Portland Trailblazers did last week because they don't have anybody on the team that can rap as good as Damian Lillard. Anyway, um, I I think there's good arguments both sides for that, right? Like I think my initial read is I think LAFC is going to be eager to go. Like that game, the Rose Bowl game, that had so much hype. There's going to be so many fans there. That was, you know, MLS's marquee game of opening weekend. And then to have it not happen, it's like, man, what are we going to do with all this now? So I read it as LAFC is going to be, you know, ready to like, we got to get the season going. We got to get this thing started. So I think there's definitely going to be energy regardless. Um, I think Portland definitely, you know, I think Monday took a lot out of them. It was cold. (laughs) It was cold up in Portland. Uh, Muscles take a beating when it's cold and you're running up there on the turf. Um, Having two less days of rest, I think is going to hurt Portland. It's not a full, you know, Wednesday, Saturday type um, rotation, but they do got to travel. They do have to recover. It's the first game of the season. They're not, maybe they're not a hundred percent in full week in week out game shape. Um, I think I lean more on maybe 60, 40 towards might be a little bit tough for Portland to get fully rested for Saturday. Um, And, you know, they're playing a team that hasn't played in two weeks. So there's definitely going to be energy in LAFC's game, LAFC's legs. I think the game might start off pretty quick because of all those reasons you said, because of the ring ceremony, the banner raising, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that 3252 got, got a TIFO planned. Um, (laughs) so that that's going to make it a a strong atmosphere. That stadium always is, is, is rocking whenever it's a home game. So Game's probably going to start off a mile a minute. Um, I'm going to start to get nervous at around minute 60, minute 65, see where Portland's legs are at because they might start to fall off and LAFC might have a little bit more in the tank at that point. Um, So I think it'll probably be even up until that point, and and then we'll see. My gut instinct says Portland's legs might start to drop off. Well, we know over the course of the years, the matches between the Timbers and LAFC have certainly been contentious, dramatic, and there has always been, you know, just that that pension and flair for something a bit above and beyond. So don't be surprised if we get a game that has all of the expected abnormalities. No, I mean, the, the thing missing was this, you know, snowed in plane. I hope that happens just so we can talk about it later. I'm OK was- with that. Oh gosh, that that, that was awesome. That, that video that the Portland Trailblazers did was was pretty cool. It was funny at the Timbers game in in the north end of the stadium. There was this giant pile of snow, which presumably was on the field at some point. And then they you know plowed it and moved out to the side. But it was just this giant mound covered in like grass, I think, or like artificial turf or something like sprinkled on it. So it kind of poorly. So you could still tell like that that's still snow. It's kind of like greenish, but it's still snow. So just an example of just how bizarre of of an opener for the season that Portland has had. I don't think they've ever had like their past like five or six openers have been just either weird games or like delayed for some reason. Like they played Colorado in the opener in 2019 in the middle of a literal blizzard. 
So it's like, sure, of course, let's get a game postponed for snow on this plane on a Monday night. Why not? So, yeah, ridiculousness, like you said, I, I don't think Portland and LAFC have ever played a normal game. <laughs> so it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting definitely more of the same on Saturday. Are you going to be in attendance, my friend? Are you making the trip down? I will not, unfortunately. It's on my list. I got it sometime. Like that stadium looks amazing. Um, and I just, it seems like a really cool environment to be into. Um, wouldn't be a bad time to visit if the, the weather cooperates because it's cold as heck <laughs> up here in the Pacific Northwest. We're still dealing with snow, which is crazy. Um, but uh, maybe sometime soon. Um, I, I got to make it down there for one. So I'll be watching that fancy, fancy, smancy Apple pod, Apple, Apple broadcast from, from my couch. <laughs> well, we're expecting 55 degrees and partly cloudy. So it should be good football weather coming up for kickoff this weekend. Yeah, uh, hopefully summer up here in the Pacific Northwest. Are you kidding me? That's shorts weather. <laughs> yeah, it, it snowed here in Los Angeles this week. So hopefully that crazy weather is behind us. And uh, I don't think anyone here has any idea what snow is or what that stuff is falling from the sky. Uh, all the pictures this morning of the Hollywood sign with snow behind it is certainly an iconic image to define the past week here in L.A. But looking for sunnier skies this weekend. Folks, our opponent correspondent this week has been none other than Sam Spiller, here to fill us in on all things Portland Timbers. You can give him a follow at Samich923, and please give our friends at Stumptown Footy a follow at Stumptown Footy. As contentious as things can get on the pitch between our two clubs, we have nothing but love for Sam and everyone at Stumptown Footy, and can't wait for the day that you come down here and we get to entertain you at the bank, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us once again. We sincerely appreciate it. Of course, always happy to join you guys. Hopefully see you soon. Folks, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the final segment of today's show. This is Will Koontz and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, gentlemen, we have just heard from the legendary Sam Spiller. He has got us all up to date on things going on with the pesky pine trees of Portland. It is time to go ahead and preview this weekend's game versus the Portland Timbers. Now, Before we get into our thoughts about what is going to transpire in the game itself, we have to talk about pre-game festivities. Folks, we know it's an early kickoff, but we could not more highly recommend you show up early for this game. Because though we don't have a whole lot confirmed, we do know that there is going to be a ring ceremony. And there's probably going to be some more pomp and circumstance as this is our first time back at the bank since we hoisted the MLS Cup. I guarantee you that MLS Cup's going to be there. Guarantee you that Supporters Shield is going to be there in the stadium. The fans are going to get a chance to bask in the glory of those two particular trophies. What else will transpire in this game? Yet to be seen. But boys, initially, what is your hype level at right now? For now, kicking off our season at home with a ceremony. It's the moment we've been waiting for, right? Since we signed up before there was a stadium. And it finally happened. So now there is a banner that's going to go up somewhere to be determined, uh, notating when we got this in 2022. Um, another Supporters Shield, Western Conference champions, banners somewhere around the stadium. But I'm looking forward to just having the ability to have a moment to celebrate, to hand out probably a ring of some sort, probably. Hopefully have the 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 trophy there, right? And um I don't know. I'm just gonna take a lot of pictures because I wanna make sure I have them. Right. So I'm looking forward to all of that. Uh it's 
it's going to be a lot of fun. Celebratory. It's it's going to be a big, big show. I can just feel it. This has definitely been a goal for a lot of us and something we've all been longing for. And so to finally be able to really celebrate it in a full stadium, packed house, trophies being lifted, fireworks going off, rings being given, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, oh, by the way, after all that fun and games, we have ourselves a match versus the Portland Timbers. So the fans are going to get to bask in the glory of our championship team. There's going to be some rings passed around. I, I can guarantee you the 3252 is going to have something to say to those players, thanking them before they go out on the pitch to get started for our first ever championship campaign. Now that we are here attempting to defend the title and bring it back. So, gentlemen, now it's time to go ahead and throw our predictions out there. After all the ceremony and circumstance now, as is typical when teams usually get their rings and hang a championship banner and, and have all that going on, teams historically don't come out and put up the greatest of performances in that match. In fact, I think in ring ceremonies, teams across all of the major sports typically have some pretty poor numbers in going out and winning that game. But seeing as how this is our first game of the season, our first chance to cheer on the black and gold and see all of our champs back out at the bank, I have a feeling things are going to go a little differently. But I'd like to hear from each of you, what are your score predictions for the game and what do you think are going to be the keys to the game for the black and gold? I think that LAFC in their five seasons have come out and been 5-0 and in opening day. I think that that record is still going to continue on. I think that they are going to be 6-0. and And especially because we didn't play this last weekend, I think that a lot of the players are going to be chomping at the bit to get out there and to play, especially in front of a packed crowd. And there's going to be just a lot of energy floating about. I think that the club is going to come out and play well. I think that we're going to end up winning. And I think that, you know, Portland is coming out. And I think that Portland's always a strong team. And I think that we will uh, play them tough. 2-1 is my scoreline. Especially we're going to have uh, Big Daddy Mac between the sticks. So I'm I'm looking to see how uh, Mr. McCarthy handles himself uh, in a regular season game where he gets to be the starter. I have the same scoreline. I think Boonga has been on fire in preseason. And I think he's going to get a double. So score two. And I think we're gonna we haven't had this set of back line in terms of center back pairings. Um, so I think that there's gonna be one moment of confusion or miscommunication, and we're gonna give something up that's too hard for J Mac to get to. But I think we're gonna do well. I I think yes, I agree with you, Jonathan. Historically, teams that uh, have a ring ceremony or championship ceremony don't do well. But I also do think and know that none of those teams ever had the 32-52 to push them along. So I think that we even playing fields or make the bad moments as short as possible. And I think the MLS Cup is the proof in the pudding for that. Portland's a tough team. They're a physical team. doesn't matter that they've had a lot of off-the-field drama going on with their team and, and still going on. doesn't matter that they have a lot of new players in. I really feel like they're going to come in with the typical Portland mentality of trying to push the black and gold around. Uh, and as per usual, whoever ends up getting the referee assignment for this game is going to have some tough work for them because we know Portland is going to play physical. And if the ref allows a physical game, potentially advantage Portland in that regard. However, if the ref calls a pretty tight game, that probably gives you a little bit more of the free-flowing and beautiful soccer that the black and gold like to go out there and give us that performance week in and week out. 
So I feel like that potentially could be advantage black and gold. We could be Sans, one of the Chara brothers. Uh, Yimmy Chara left the Monday match with an injury. So whether or not he will be fit and ready to go still remains in question. And they've, you know, look, a a lot of new pieces there, but I think it's going to be typical Portland rough and tough style football. But that being said, the black and gold, just too many weapons up top. I think it's going to be 3-1 to the home team. And we are going to hoist our first three points of the season as everyone gets to bask in the glory of rings and cups and ceremonies and all of those lovely things. All right, gentlemen, do we have any final thoughts on today's show before we call it quits? Well, with that, folks, we would like to thank Sam Spiller of joining us as our opponent correspondent. Once again, appreciate Sam's continued commitment to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. A huge thank you to Carlos Aguirre and everyone over at Global Diplomatic. Uh, Once again, please reach out to them if you're interested in purchasing raffle tickets to benefit the charity event down in Costa Rica or make a donation directly to Costa Rican efforts through Global Diplomatic or for one of their future endeavors, as we know we have planned throughout the course of the season. We could not speak more highly of the work that those gentlemen do. Global Diplomatic has been very impactful in helping make LAFC a force for good. Thank you, Carlos, for coming and speaking on behalf of them. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris, Christian, sound engineer, Wilton, and all of us here at S2S, we'd like to thank you for listening to episode 147. With that, take us home, Sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.